yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Well, how are things? I'm doing well. I'm delighted to be joined by a friend of the show who we actually have on our part of the show, technically. He, he was a, a mainstay during the World Cup of Rory and Keane over in Japan. Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph. How are you doing? Not too bad, Will. Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, a big week for us. It'll be really interesting to get your insight in, in just a moment. But just before we kick in, just for the listeners, uh, a bit of housekeeping. We're coming to you on a Wednesday this week, and we're going to be coming to you on a Wednesday for the foreseeable future now as well. Luke, he's such a study study, uh, you know, worker bee now. He just can't get enough of it. He didn't do much of school, so he's going to make up for last time now. So lectures on a Tuesday night means that uh, the left wing will be on a Wednesday going forward. <laughs> Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's true. Uh, I'm, I'm playing catch-up, so, um, yeah, I don't know if it'll ever stop, but, um, yeah, painful enough. But, look, I think Wednesday's still a good day. Most of the guys and uh, most of our uh, listeners, I think like I think it'll probably suit everyone a bit because we're a bit closer to the action anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's good to be back, isn't it? I mean, like, uh, I just think um, I like to have some, some rugby on the telly. Like, I, there's only so much golf I can watch. Like, I do love the golf and that, but... Um, like I need, I need the rugby. I need the rugby something fierce. And it was a great weekend. Like it really was. Um, I know that the Leinster Munster was probably a bit of a dare affair, but the Ulster one. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Jonathan's view on it. You know, um, looks like Ian Madigan's already maybe repaid some of the um, some of the confidence that they've showed in him in terms of bringing him in. So. Uh, loads to talk about this week, Will. Yeah, Jonathan, we'll just crack right into Ulster then, I guess. You know, as Luke said, the Leinster-Munster game, we'll kind of circle back around to maybe some aspects of that a little later on. But, you know, Ulster back in their first final since 2013, they played Leinster then as well. So much has changed in Ulster rugby since then. But there just seemed to be a huge amount of positivity around the, the club now with Dan McFarlane. But uh, ultimately, it's a results business as well. Like, you know, what, what's the mood there like now? Is it... Is there a sense that they actually can produce a result this weekend? Or, you know, there's already reports that Johnny Sexton might even play this game. So is it, it, how are Ulster taking it going into this game? I think, you know, Dan McFarland used the phrase the other day of we've got a puncher's chance. And I think that's how people up here are really seeing it. You know, 
first of all, as stirring, I suppose, as the comeback against Edinburgh was, you do have to acknowledge the fact that for 65 minutes, it was not a good performance at all. And that's off the back of two fairly subpar performances out of lockdown in those interpros as well. So they're really trying to carry a lot of momentum just from those sort of last 15 minutes and uh, Ian Madigan's heroics. But like personally, like I think Leinster haven't hit their stride that we've seen over the past, say, two or three years yet either in these games. They've, they've done what they've had to do. But I think there will be areas that make Ulster think that while they're certainly not favourites, they're maybe not as uh, far away as certainly the I think eleven point spread that the the boogies have would have you believe either. Yeah, Lucas. Before last weekend's game, we were chatting and we were well. I was kind of saying that while Munster were getting a lot of the focus in terms of the pressure being heaped on them, it was a big weekend for Ulster as well. Like they were playing Edinburgh, not as difficult maybe an assignment as Leinster. And as Jonathan said, up to sixty five minutes, it looked like it was a fairly disastrous outing. But they did pull it back. You know, Abby Matheson was great off the bench. They made some Jacob Stockdale made some big plays in the last couple of minutes after you know an up and down game as well and um, you know do, do you give them much of a chance do, 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 or is it you know I, I'm kind of at the moment I'm kind of in two minds like you know if you look back to that quarter final last year they played Johnny Sexton didn't play in that game either and Ulster produced probably their best performance of the last two seasons if, if that is there anything to even be gleaned from that game I think there is. I absolutely. I mean, it's it's the one thing when I was doing a little bit of research, you know, just in terms of what we're going to talk about this evening, that was kind of where I went to. Uh, It was the logical place to start. And I think it would be the logical place to start from an Ulster perspective because they were um, they were on top throughout the game. Um, There was loads of areas where, you know, like if you perform the way they performed that day in those areas again, and I'm thinking particularly around breakdown and defence, uh, against Leinster, I don't really know if there's any team around that'll really be able to get on top of you. Or I certainly think it'll be a very tight match, regardless of you know the, the quality that Leinster possess. So that's where I'd start if I was them. Uh, I think there is, you know, I'd agree with Jonathan. I don't think either team have really hit their straps in terms of performance. What I would say is, I think, you know, looking at the previous outings for from a Leinster perspective. I think their defence will get better and better. It'll get stingier and stingier as time goes on. I think, you know, particularly if you're looking at the Munster game, the first Munster game I'm thinking of, some of those tries looked like, you know, first game of the season kind of tries. There was, you know, no Lancer defenders left in 30, 30 metres of the pitch. You know, those kind of weird tries you get uh, when teams aren't organised and not probably up to match fitness. I think that'll get stingier. Um but I think Ulster will get better too. Um, I mean, I thought there was lots of guys who've been brilliant for, for Ulster for a while who were poor in that first 65 minutes. I'd agree with, I think, I know Jonathan didn't say that explicitly. You know, you're probably referring more to the pitch, or, sorry, to the to the whole team for that 65 minutes. Um, but I do think there's lots of areas that they can... John um, Cooney is one guy who, if you'd said they'd win a big semi-final and he would be taken off at half-time, you'd say they'd have no chance, given how influential he's been in pretty much all their big wins in the last two seasons. That's good, yeah. And I thought as well, there was a few other guys. That kind of, I know Stockdale was playing out of position, uh, and I still think full-back might be a good place for him um, in the end. I mean, he looked very good when he switched to the wing, I thought. But, uh, you know, he was pretty mixed as well. He's a big player for them. Uh, there was one missed tackle in the second half. That was just very, very poor. <laughs> yeah, but look, I, but I think the only thing about fullback is it's it's probably a place you can hide that part of his game. Uh, he's so good at the other parts. Uh, he's so good going forward. He's a big guy. Uh, you know, he's a good kicking game. I think. Uh, you know, that could be a future position for him because he's such a threat. And if he can get the handling part of the game and link with his wingers, the you know the world is his oyster there because he's such a such a threat. So look, 
what in a roundabout way, I do think it'll, it, there's lots for, for Ulster to, to think about in areas where they can attack and think, yes, if we can do that well, you know, we put Leinster under pressure. And that's kind of where you start off from. And again, they can look to that, that match last season and say, look, if we do those things again, and we do, I'm sure they think they can do those things again that they did well, because they're only the basics of the game. Um, they certainly are, are, are in a chance. They're in more than a puncher's chance, regardless of what Dan McBurnham is saying. I think like the lesson that you have to take from that quarter the final as well as well as as well as Ulster played in that game is that you have to be almost perfect like for everything that Ulster did right in that game you know you look at the points that they left behind them whether it be the conversion of Luke Marshall's try that was you know a very very makeable conversion slides past the post Jacob Stockdale not grinding the ball you know if you get in those chances against a team like Leinster you have to take them because a team say without championship pedigree a lot like Edinburgh aren't going to punish you in the same way, you can get back into a game if you don't take all your chances against other teams, like we saw on Saturday night, but it's not going to happen against Leinster. Yeah, Jonathan, and Luke touched on it there, like Jacob Stockdale, you know, he's obviously playing a lot of full-back for, for Ulster. Like you've probably seen him more than just about anyone in the media you know, over the last couple of years. Like what have you made of just his general development since that you know breakout year of 2018 when he was absolutely sensational? Like He has stuttered a bit. You know, along with a lot of maybe key men in the Irish team over the last while, and now he's been tried out in a new position with an eye to international level or a position he hasn't played as much maybe a professional rugby there. Like, what have you made just watching him or, or even seeing how he's developed over the last while? Like, what stands out to you? Yeah, you know, like I've been watching Jacob since he was uh, playing schoolboy rugby as a centre. You know, for as a seventeen-year-old, like so, I've sort of seen <laughs> seen him move from position to position as it goes. I see. I can see the huge benefits of his game to him being a fullback. You know, he's got that thump in left boot, which just we saw it in both the both the interpros there before before the semi-finals. We saw how good an outlet that can be, and I think you know he covers ground well as a fullback. But then I think you always have this sort of almost pendulum effect where you know you'll see him play fullback and he'll do something really well, and then people will think. That's his position of the future, and then you move back to the wing there on uh, on Saturday night. Really short up defensively, apart from that missed tackle you mentioned. You know, Duhan van der Merwe didn't get the same joy that he had uh, in the first half and that second half, and you saw just the work that he did at the end. You know, collecting that uh, box kick on the touchline was really, really vital. Probably a, a vital part of the game that was underplayed, given that uh, everything that followed after it. But you know, if he doesn't go up the touchline and secure that ball then they're not in the position to win the penalty. So I think he's such such a talented player and he's going to make a success of whichever one. I think from an Ulster perspective, you could look at it and think, you know, you could have him and Robert Balakun as your wingers for a decade and you'd be set up, you know? Hmm. So I can see the appeal of that. But equally from an Irish perspective, you know, even just James Lowe coming in, I can equally see why Andy Farrell would really, really see him as a 15 option. And Jonathan, can I ask you just a quick question just to tie in on that part, just around the positional part? Um, I wonder in the short term, have they considered maybe Ian Madigan at fullback, particularly considering Billy Burns seems to be playing reasonably well. Obviously, he had a big, you know, that was a great intercept he got at a very crucial moment uh, the last day. And obviously, he's the stand-in captain, so he's obviously very well thought of within the squad. Um What's your view on that? Is there a bit of value? Maybe Madigan played some very good rugby for, for Leinster for, for a period when we were down numbers a couple of years ago. Um, and I wonder then, do you say, well, look, Jacob 
probably matches up well with either like whoever Leinster have on the wings, um, particularly with Will Addison out. Like that's kind of my, my my thinking on that one because I think he's a really key guy for 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 Ulster. Um, any any word around that or any thoughts on on that? Have you heard any whispers? There's certainly been talk about uh, about Madigan's versatility because obviously. I suppose so much of the narrative of him coming in was, was he going to just be going head to head with Billy Burns? Was he going to be happy with that? But, you know, they've talked up his potential to play 12. They've talked up his potential to play 15. And I do think that, you know, over the course of a long season that we're going to have, and especially with so many Ireland absences expected, that you're going to see that over the course of the season. Now, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think you'll see it this week now. I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I think. I think you might just see Stockdale at fullback again. I and then uh, your other option really is is Mike Laurie, who people you know are gonna say that he's fairly inexperienced to be pitching into a final. But like you know, he played that quarterfinal as well, so he mm. has been there to a degree and done it before. Yeah. yeah, and Jonathan, in terms of the halfback selections for the weekend, then you know there there's been kind of talk that Abby Matheson could, could come in at, at nine to start. That would be a huge call considering what John Cooney's done over the last while. Um, and then likewise, you know, at half, you know, does Ian Madigan, the way he finished that game, the confidence he will get from those kicks, d- d- does he become a starting option? Like, what do you think Dan McFarlane will do there? I think, like, I sort of wrote a piece about this on uh, on Monday and the reaction to it, I think, um, really showed just how shocked people would be if Cooney didn't play. Obviously, as you say, just for everything that he's done over the past three years since he came up here. But I do think equally it's probably important to remember that while it would be a massively ruthless call to bring in Matthewson, it was massively ruthless to take Cooney off at half time in a in a semi final, you know. So Dan McFarland showed that he will make that call. So it's maybe not as preposterous a notion as people think. And he was obviously asked about it there to doing media during the week and said, you know, John is a guy who is about winning and every decision that we make here is about winning. So if that's the way we go will understand. I would agree 100% with Luke. Like I just think with um, with Billy Burns, you know, having that sort of leadership role that he's attained very quickly, coming into the leadership group, being the stand-in captain whenever uh, whenever Henderson's been absent and playing well as well. You know, he was on the fringes of that Irish setup whenever whenever lockdown came in, you know, training with the squad during the Six Nations. So I wouldn't envisage a change of ten. And then you have to look at it as well. That you obviously have the advantage there of being able to bring somebody like Ian Madigan. He's got thirty odd caps for Ireland off the bench to see a game out or to try and change a game in the way that you know it was the bench that has them here essentially after that semi final. Yeah, Luke, two big calls there. You know what way? What, excuse me. What way do you look at it? I think it's. Uh, do you know what? I hadn't thought about it. Uh, I think I was probably in the other camp. Um, and Jonathan makes a good point. I hadn't actually considered it, to be honest, until he said it. Uh, I did see the article that you wrote about the uh, the Abby Matheson, or maybe I saw someone else saying that he was in line to start, uh, Jonathan. But uh, I, I think he probably will go with John. I think John's been good. Uh, I think he's been really solid. He's got the kicking component. I think he has to have either either Ian or John, John Cooney in for the kicking um, off the deck. That is so key in a big game like this, um, and I think that you know either one of them will have to start for him because I just don't don't think Billy's there. He's not at the same level as those two guys in terms of having kicked big match, uh, kicked in, in a big match. So um, 
yeah, I think that, that might dictate that that nine slot. But it's a good point you make, Jonathan. And I think, you know, there's no harm in having Albie Matheson in the wings there. Um, and I think the more games that Ian gets under his belt and the more time he's in the setup, I think the, the closer that competition between himself and Billy Burns um, will be. And I think despite the leadership aspect, which I think is completely right as well, um, which is why I mentioned it, that um, I, I do think that Billy will get the nod this time around, but it won't count for much going forward. I think he, like, you know, Dan McFarland is a guy who wants to win. I think there's pressure on him to win up there because they've made some very good signings up there and they're they're very ambitious, I think, and they need to get some silverware soon. Um, I, I think he'll be picking the guys he feels uh, like are going to win the game for him and that it'll come down to that. And it's that's that's the nature of this. The good thing for Ulster is that there's a couple of years ago, we weren't making, there was, you know, whoever was there was there, you know, and there was no real thoughts about who was going to get selected. It was basically who's fit. Now we're talking about, you know, selection conundrums. That's a good place to be. And you can see there's certainly been a transition in the squad there. I think that's very evident. And I don't think that's um, a strange thing to say. So there's certainly progress being made for, for, from an Ulster perspective and the supporters will see that, but they'll want now some results, you know, over the, I think next year probably is going to be, you know, there probably is a little bit of pressure to perform well on the weekend. I think there's probably not a huge expectation maybe. Um, but I think next year is really, really key for them. And going forward, there's lots and lots of tight calls. You can see those things. Um, I, I suppose, uh, you can see them kind of maturing over the next year and there's going to be some very tight calls, which is good. Like, look at Leinster. Like, that's what they have. They have tight calls everywhere all over the pitch. Every 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 week they have guys who are going to be really, really disappointed about not getting in the team. Like, kind of, you know, talking about 20 guys who feel like they should be playing or starting in, in a provincial game. That's where Ulster need to get to. That's where Munster need to get to. That's where Connacht need to get to. That's that's the standard at the moment. And I think Ulster are going in the right direction in that in that respect. Yeah, Jonathan, just one last thing on Ulster before we maybe move on to one, some of the other provinces. You know, Luke mentioned there the, the big signings that have come in. And if you look back to the squad makeup when they got to their last final, say in 2013, it was probably mostly Ulster homegrown guys with a sprinkling of overseas guys. Now it's kind of flipped around with mostly, you know, you know guys from Leinster or guys from overseas with a sprinkling of homegrown talent. And while I'm sure fans are delighted that they're back in the final, like what's the overall view up there in terms of how that kind of transition to maybe more of a, it's maybe not quite as Ulster-based as it would have been. Are they still just as happy to see the, to see the team having success? Or are some people kind of a bit conflicted about it and they, and they, do, they do prefer having the homegrown players there? Mm. Maybe conflicted. It wouldn't be any stronger than uh, conflicted, I don't think. You know, you look at the way that somebody like John Cooney's being taken in. Um, you look at the way that even, you know, Ian Madigan was saying the other day, even just how quickly he's been taken in off the back of only playing... A couple of games you know I think basically once the guys are up here and once they show that they want to be up here then I don't think people make too much of a distinction Um, you know you look at somebody like Alan O'Connor and like Alan O'Connor has been here for so long and just uh, is so committed to the cause that I think people would almost forget that he is actually from Dublin you know and then um, but I do think obviously the concern would be the long term like, I don't think anybody would want to see it long term. And that's nothing against the guys that are here. That would just be off the back of if it is a long term, a long term thing, then it's a bad indictment on the academy. You know, you're starting to see guys coming through now, whether they've joined the academy from school or whether they've joined the academy having not got in at Leinster or somewhere else. That's starting to bear a little bit more fruit. And that's obviously what Ulster need to take the next step. But I suppose as 
stop gaps may be the wrong phrase, but like a short-term solution to what is a very long-term problem in terms of academy output, I think it's reached a stage now where it's maybe talked about much more outside of Ulster than it is in Ulster, probably. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting one. Just to tie in on that point, Will, though, like I think it really becomes a problem for you only when you don't have your key guys that are kind of coming from homegrown talent. You kind of get a bit concerned. So if I'm looking at Ulster, I'm thinking, well, who are the key guys? John Cooney is definitely one of them, but Jacob Stockdale's homegrown. Uh, I look at, um, you know, the, um, McCluskey, homegrown. Uh, you know, I look at Ian Henderson, their captain, homegrown. So they're probably their, you know, their four key guys over the last year, bar obviously, um, you know, a, a, few, a sprinkling of other maybe international talent, which every team has. Um, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, Leinster have the equivalents and so do Munster, you know, uh, some, some big guys from, from abroad coming in to bolster those guys. So look, I do think that while they'll be watching that space closely, because it is very important that you are developing and nurturing your own talent. I still think you their key guys are still um, they're still uh, you know Ulster guys and and that's important for them. If that changes, you'd be getting concerned. I think. Yeah, and just to maybe move on to you when know, we talk about selection dilemmas for Ulster. There's obviously Keane Tracy had an interesting uh, back page story today that Leinster looks like Luke are, are considering resting Johnny Sexton this weekend. Obviously, they have European fixtures to come. They have Saracens, and then potentially if they win that, Claremont are Racing. So two heavy duty games in a row. And Johnny obviously played last week against Munster as well. Uh, Ross Byrne in line to start, but it'll be very interesting in terms of a final. Like previously, Leo Cullen has rotated, but it's been maybe a semi final, which, albeit they were against Munster, very big tests. It doesn't have quite the same occasion as the final. It would be almost unprecedented to see someone rested for a final with a view to another game. Yeah, it looked to me like he had a, a some kind of ice pack on his, on his, um, I'm going to say his ankle or something. Maybe he took a small knock and maybe just doesn't want to risk him. Uh, I don't think, you know, the, I think. You know, any final, uh, the team is going to be picking their best guys. Johnny's still their best guy. And I think it might be something to do with that. He probably just hasn't mentioned it um, rather than maybe rest. I don't think it's, this isn't an opportunity to rest people. I think Leo's just going to pick exactly like Dan McFarland, the team that can go out and win it. Because I think they really are of the opinion there. And they've obviously sold it to lots of guys um, in Leinster because not, many, not very many of these guys leave the club, um, you know, for the most part anyway. Uh, you know, they feel like they're representing the whole squad. So they're going to be picking the best 15 or 23 guys to, to go ahead and win the game against Ulster. I mean, this would really, anytime you're up against a provincial rival, uh, it would really sting not to win something like this. And they've come so far. They've had such a good season. I think they're a little bit concerned about this kind of record as well, that no losses this year. That's weighing on them a little bit. Um I may have got that from an inside source uh, <laughs> that they were, that was walking along Dunleary Pier and I met one of them and they were saying, yeah, just, I don't know. It actually wasn't one of the guys in the squad. It was one of the management that they were saying, we're just this, you know, I presume towards the end of the season, you know, they might, I'm sure they've talked about it, but they must be a bit worried about it, you know, just saying this is kind of a bit of a weight in the shoulders that, that you don't need because you'd love to achieve it. It would be, it'd be an incredible feat. Um, but yeah, so look, they wouldn't be taking that lightly. I have a feeling that might be down to something else, but, um, you know, because it looked like he had a slight niggle um, after the game. But other than that, like Ross and Kieran Frawley, like outstanding footballers. I, I don't think that the, the um, it becomes any less of a task uh, for, for Ulster to go and beat them, regardless of who's at 10. Because really, to my mind, the key battle against Leinster is, is their forward pack. Can you contain them there? There's so much quality and depth. It just doesn't stop for 80 minutes. Um, they just you seem to kind of swallow teams. Like even against Munster, I know Munster had lots of good periods of pressure and they were in some good areas. 
But when a pack is on top of another pack and they're getting kind of lots of, they're winning all the kind of small battles, not all of them, but they're winning more of the smaller battles. Uh, I feel like I, like I never felt watching the game against Munster that Leinster were, were, in, were in danger of losing the game, uh, even though the scoreline was quite tight. Um, I always feel that that's as a result of your pack being slightly on top and lots of the engagements. Um, so, yeah, like that to me is the key battle for Ulster. Can they do what they did last, um, you know, uh, I'm going to say it was last March, wasn't it, that match uh, in the Aviva? And it was because they were able to get, they were able to, you know, compete with Leinster's pack for, for large parts of the game. And I would add on that, that Ross Byrne was the guy who kicked the key penalty against Ulster to win that game. So um, I'm not sure they'd have such fond memories of playing against him if he's the one selected. Yeah, Jonathan, like, would it give Ulster a boost if Johnny Sexton wasn't named? Would it, would it even motivate them, you know, that Leinster aren't even picking their best player, their captain, to play them? <laughs> yeah, like, I'd almost wonder if it's more that than anything to do with Ross Byrne. Because, like, you know, as Luke says, Ross Byrne was in the team that beat them in the quarterfinal. And, you know, they went into the quarterfinal without Sexton, without Lowe, without Henshaw, and with Dan Levy on the bench. And still had enough, as well as Ulster played, to get by them. And... The reason that Leinster wins so much and wins so often is because they have so many good players that are capable on this occasion. So I don't think it should really, as Luke says, lessen the task any because Ross Byrne has shown the ability in a massive, massive game against Ulster to do it before, and like Ulster will know that. And I suppose looking at the like looking at the team that Kane had in, in the Irish Indo today, like. Maybe even what, like Will Connors not being in it <laughs> could be a big boost for Ulster, given the job that uh, that he did on them in the Aviva a couple of weeks ago. Just in terms of being able to stop those big ball cars like Marcel Garcia, uh, Stuart McCloskey, basically just chopping them down at source. Like I was maybe a bit surprised to see that he wouldn't feature. Although I suppose again, you're talking about the guys that are coming in and uh, they're no slouches either, like are they? Yeah, no, lovely. interesting to see the team selection this weekend. And guys, obviously Leinster and Ulster had a focus heading into the final weekend. But I guess Munster have been getting a lot of you know coverage and, and criticism as well. They've got after their defeat last weekend, three semi-finals in a row now to Leinster in the Pro Arena. They've lost. I think they've lost ten semi-finals and two finals since their last trophy in 2011. And a lot of it has been focused on. I guess the way they, they went about trying to beat Leinster last weekend, you know, we discussed what they needed to do to make it different this time around. In the end, I suppose there was a lot of box kicking, you know, their key men, like Keita Ozandi Conway, who we were talking about how sharp they looked. I think they had less than five touches combined between them. You know, is the criticism, has it, has it been fair, do you think, in terms of, you know, a lot of people are kind of scratching their head about what Munster came to the table with in the end? Well, I think it comes down to that point I just made about Leinster's pack. Um, I thought they were slightly on top for, for large parts of the game. And I think, um, I, I feel like Munster are a team that still look for edges. They still look for, I thought they gave away some stupid penalties at key times. And I thought that, that was really uh, kind of key. Uh, I think that um, they still look for ways to kind of cheat the referee at times. I felt that for a very long period of time watching them. And I think those couple of penalties make a big difference on the day, uh, you know, alongside Lancers pack being very, very difficult to contain for that long a period of time. Um, I think that the, the, the tactics were overly pragmatic. I think there's probably, they're overthinking parts of, you know, the, the playmaking portion of the game. Like when they lose momentum, they're not happy to hold and play as, you know, play themselves back into momentum. And that's a big issue for them. Um, I think that's something that they need to address. Um, I think there'll be lots of talk about it and there has been lots of talk about it since the game. And probably a little bit unwarranted criticism of, of, of Conor Murray, perhaps, because I think that, um, you know, it, 
it's definitely a diktat there. You know, someone's saying to him, look, if we lose momentum, let's just get pragmatic. You know, Leinster struggled under the high ball last week. We're good under the high ball with, you know, obviously Andrew Conway being a standout performer up there for them. Let's put some pressure on them up and do that if we lose momentum. But to me, that seems like they need a rethink there. It's not working for them. It hasn't worked against the best teams in Europe for quite a while. And I would put Leinster in that bracket because they've really struggled against Leinster. Um, and they have the players and they should have the skill set to, to be able to hang on to the ball for longer periods of time. And they should be able to back themselves to be able to at least get parity against the defence and put teams under pressure to be... Uh, well, I think to concentrate for long periods of times and not give away penalties. If you look at Leinster, I think they're happy enough to hold on to the ball for long periods of time and to, I think, you know, back the other team to make a mistake versus them. You know, they back their own skills uh, versus the opposition. And I think you see Leinster get lots of penalties in good positions by just hanging on to the ball. I mean, happy to do it. Maybe they can see ground on one phase. Maybe they, maybe they, you know, they can see ground on two phases, but they're still happy to hang on to the ball and have the, have the football. Um, you know, like obviously the caveat is, you know, an extreme circumstance where you do have to kick the ball away and be pragmatic. But for the most part, I think that's an area they have to have a really close look at, and they have to one, they have to have a look at, I think, as well, the speed of delivery and the quality of the the the, the interplay amongst their forwards. I've been banging this drum for a long time with Munster. There's way more in them. They have way more quality in the pack than they're showing um, in 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 open play, uh, and I just think there's a, there's a that's an area I see huge growth to them. You have to be able to deliver passes amongst your pack. You have to be able, your forwards have to be able to change the point of attack um, against all these defenses that are condensing, uh, you know, and coming off the line very, very tight. And they're just backing the line speed um, to get them through it because there's people are saying, oh, there's, there's, I'm going to panic the attacker into making the simple player just carrying it. And the game becomes simple for the defence then. You need to be able to change that up and put them on their back foot and make the defence who are coming up at pace make decisions at pace. That's where mistakes happen. Um, and I think you need to be brave enough to have a few of them go wrong against you. Um, I just, because I, I think Munster aren't that far off. They have, I think they're, they're getting close to having the squad to be able to compete. Um, but they just need to be a little bit braver and they need to be a little bit more, I think, uh, creative. Uh, particularly in the tight exchanges, to get release those guys. It's not enough ball for the likes of Andrew Comrie and Keith Thurls to have in a match because they're so dangerous when they get their hands on it. Yeah, John, I guess what makes it more frustrating from a bunch of perspective is that Stephen Larkham, I guess, was brought in maybe as the final piece of the puzzle, as Luke said, to maybe upskill some of their players, that in the, you know, especially in the forward pack, to, to be able to distribute the ball a bit better, to ask more questions of the defence. And then, I guess, when they get to the biggest game of the year, there's no real evidence maybe of his influence. Originally, when he came in, there was the World Cup. There was a lot of upheaval. He didn't really get his hands on the on the main men for that long. But he had a full preseason this time around. I know it is early in the season, but there wasn't much evidence. Yeah, because obviously he had that game against um, Racing just after just after the World Cup when all those Irish internationals were filtering back in. And it looked like there was something to really sort of be excited about the influence that he was already bringing to bear in a short time. And you assume that one of the advantages of lockdown, if you can say there were any advantages, was the fact that these guys were going to get a huge amount of time together to work as a squad. And But, you, I mean, you do have to allow for the fact we're in very unusual circumstances and that what's normally pre-season games essentially are semi-finals and everybody's watching you, you know, because as much as people talked about Munster's tactics and there's definitely some merit in there, the accuracy is as big a thing, if not a bigger thing, because, you know, you talk about being able to work the ball out to, you know, the likes of Conway and Earls, but you have to be able to make some sort of impact in your 
you know, the pick and jam game that we've seen from Munster. But if you're making a mistake after like two phases or three phases, then you're relieving the pressure immediately. And, you know, you're not holding on to the ball long enough, basically, to bring those guys into the game. And it's similar to what we've seen from Ulster from a lot of the time. There's just guys are making a lot of mistakes that they shouldn't be making, that they wouldn't normally be making. And part of that has to be down to the co- continuity and cohesion that you're lacking just from six months out, you know? Yeah, that's a fair point. And Luke, what, what, one thing I thought was interesting was kind of some of the messaging coming from Munster after the game. You know, John Van Grand said that he was, you know, more hopeful, you know, after this loss than he had been after the previous loss, which, you know, fair enough, that's his opinion. And like CJ Sanders saying that, like, you know, it was an honour to get to a semi-final, like, you know, we'll try harder next time. I thought they were both kind of bizarre messages after you know you wouldn't have heard like i wouldn't have thought peter armani coming out like that he would like you know say something like that it's sort of kind of two kind of bizarre messages i thought uh yeah it's funny that you picked the honor thing out as well because <laughs> i was uh i i was a bit look i i, I i'm open to maybe that it's i know cj you know i I don't know. I don't even know what to say actually to try and be nice about this. To be honest with you, I, 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 it was the one thing when I listened to it. I was saying, oh, that's just. It's almost like a kind of a PR thing, you know. Like, tell us what you really think. I think if you looked at Peter Manny, he would have said, he, you know, that guy just wears his heart in his sleeve, and I don't think he really cares what what people think too much. He's going to say what, what exactly what he thinks about what happened and what he, you know, within reason, obviously. Um, and I think uh, I just thought it was. Yeah, there's no way it was an honor to be in the semi final. Like, they need to be, like, the, the league isn't that hard to get into these positions. I don't think there's not that much quality. There's probably only about, you know, is there really six teams competing for it every year? Uh, to, to my mind, um, you know, maybe one of the Welsh teams, obviously, all of us, or, or sorry, all three of us, um, you know, Ulster, Munster, Leinster, and then the two Scottish teams. You know, Glasgow have been good, Edinburgh have been decent, but every year that's what you're competing against. And to get to a semi-final, I don't think is that much of an achievement for you know a team like Munster. So uh, maybe that's a mindset change that they need to think about. I've I've a feeling he might have just said that, um, and I don't really think he meant it. If I'm being honest, um, and I and I think you know in terms of Van Gran, um, you know I suppose he, he's probably under a bit of pressure. He's got a lot of players in. He's got a lot of support um, from from. Um, behind the scenes in Munster and they brought in some serious quality for him and I think that you know they probably haven't delivered on that yet and maybe he's trying to defend his position there because there was to my mind it looked like they hadn't improved that much and there wasn't it looked like it was they were any closer to really cracking the Leinster issue that they've had uh, over the last couple of years so uh, probably don't agree with the messaging but we don't know what's behind that and I think CJ's probably was just an error to be honest with you it was a weird way of wording it and probably I don't know, trying to be very respectful, but I don't know to whom. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, I thought behind closed doors, it could be completely different. Uh, you know, like what, what's Joe Graham meant to say after the game? Like come out and say, oh, we're, we're further away than ever. Like he probably wouldn't last much yeah. longer if he came out and said that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the problem for Munster is they've been in these positions so often at this stage. And like, looks right, you know, the league isn't good enough that you have so many competing teams. Like the step up from, say, you know, finishing fourth in your conference to getting to a semi-final isn't that large, but the gap to go from semi-finals and finals to winning silverware, in my mind, is a massive, massive step in comparison because you're always going to have that obstacle of Leinster to get through. And we've seen this with a lot of teams, you know, when Ulster had that sort of purple patch at the start of the decade, you know, it was 
Luke's Leinster that they had to get past and they never could. So you have this period where you're building up to the point that Munster are at and it's just getting through that glass ceiling. But to get to the games, in my mind, takes much less improvement than it does to actually win that one game, that one big game when you get there. Yeah, well, it's funny, though, you say that. You know, they've been in the semi-finals regularly, but the reasons they got to play Leinster during the semi-finals rather than in a final in a neutral venue reverse the order, yes, because they haven't been able to top their conference, which has actually been a really big thing. For I know this year, to be fair, six games were cancelled from the regular season, so Munster would have hoped to have reeled in Edinburgh by the end. But, you know, two years prior to that, they couldn't get over Glasgow Warriors in their conference. That's the difference between playing Leinster and the ORDS. Uh, you know, you know, in, in the end of the season, they're maybe playing them in Celtic Park or... Um, the other one was in the Aviva, so I suppose that wouldn't be a huge difference. But there, there's something to that as well. Maybe they haven't been able to to even get over that little hump as well, which which gave them a tougher draw. Yeah, um, like absolutely. You know, people probably didn't make too big a deal about the fact that Edinburgh went to Irish Independent Park and won back in November. But mm. that's the difference between hosting Ulster or having to play Leinster in the Aviva. You know, so, and that's again where Leinster makes such a success because they just win relentlessly these games through the autumn whenever their internationals are away and just throughout the entire season. And that's why they're in the position to always top their conference because they don't slip up in these games that might seem inconsequential at the time. But then you look back at them at the end of the season and you can see just how big an impact it's had on your year. Yeah, as well, I think it's probably important to note, look, I mean, they were there was a few moments as well in the game that, like, Look, you never want to be the team that's relying on a few moments. You always want to have the majority of the moments, which Leinster would have had in the game. Uh, but the kicks were, you know, Ian Madigan got his kicks and it changed the changed the game for, for Ulster. You know, they were able to put pressure on and win the game in the end. You know, Munster never looked like they were able to really trouble uh, Leinster because they missed those kicks. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, does... You know, is that an issue for that, that Munster need to address? Is it something that Joey Carby would be able to address? Um, because they're kind of really key moments for them. And, um, you know, even though you're not playing well, I still think those moments can can dig you out of a hole. Like, Leinster seems to be one of those teams that get those kicks. Um, and they have been for a while, even when they're maybe not playing so great. Um, Munster are the team that haven't got them. Um, and I'm thinking maybe... You know, maybe a few drop goals against Rassi a couple of years ago. You know, kind of a few odd ones like that. They've had those moments over the last couple of years, but they just haven't been able to convert. And and they're important moments. So uh, we probably shouldn't. We we have to probably mention them along the way um, as well. That you know, this thing could have been closer, and it could have been a different game if there was a little bit more pressure put on Leinster if they got those kicks. So there's key moments in there that did, did probably change the the. Uh, you know, maybe the composition of the game, certainly uh, from a pressure perspective, but um, there is work to be done down there. And um, look, they have the personnel to do it. I think having Joey Carberry back would be big for them. I do think he's really, really important to them. And um, yeah, they need to get Snyman back as well and Klein. They're, they're two kind of guys that'll be key for them over the next, uh, you know, in, in next year's, I suppose, route to, to success. If those guys are there for long periods of time, uh, we could be in a very different position next year talking about Munster. Yeah, no, just before, guys, I get your predictions for the, for the weekend. One last thing I wanted to touch on, obviously, it caught a lot of attention over the weekend, was Owen Farrell, uh, you know, his red card, Jonathan, you know, his band came in late last night. It's been such a hot topic kind of in world rugby over the last while, Owen Farrell, his tackle technique, and like whatever the other ones were, which were fairly borderline, some of them were, you know, maybe was it a penalty or not? This was a what John Brown, this was a JBL <laughs> clothesline from hell, you know, uh, this would have been another place at WrestleMania, and then now he's, 
he's changed the complexion of that Leinster quarterfinal. Yeah, like he's obviously he's a massive, massive loss for for Saracens going into that quarterfinal. I think the only thing you would hope, I suppose, in that band coming out last night is, and we've seen it this morning with that and a few other cases in uh, over in the Premiership, is that maybe you have some sort of reform of the system because I think we're probably all at a stage now where to look at that. And you look at that tackle, and it's a judge that that's a ten, you know, ten game ban. But because of good behaviour, it goes down to a five game ban. And you know, you've got Mark McCall and Eddie Jones giving essentially character <laughs> witnesses for him. When what are they going to say? <laughs> now? You think he's banned, so he misses six I think they had his charity in there as well. Yeah, is that is that not absolutely bizarre? Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I look at this going like, what? This is he's not going to jail. Like it's a rugby pitch. He it's a ten game ban. That's it. Like I was was I the only one that thought that was really odd to be getting like kind of character references at this? Well, I, I don't. I don't see. I don't. I think it definitely needs to be reformed when you can get a fifty percent of the band chopped off. For to be fair, I don't even know if the character references. I think to be fair, it was down to the fact that he hadn't been banned before as much as the character references. But or he he served one very brief ban, but still, like that shouldn't be that much of a mitigation against what was an outrageously bad tackle. Like. No, uh, but we see it all the time, and like. Yeah. <laughs> You have to have a pretty bad record not to get, uh, you know, for it to count as mitigation. You have to, you have to have had a good few red cards in your career. So I, I think, yeah, you just have to look at it and say, if the offence is worthy of a ten-game ban, then you miss ten games. I think we have to be at a point where we have a serious look at um, taking away all this sort of extras around the thing and just have it shouldn't be too many intangibles of making a decision well, like I'm this. almost Dylan certain like, Dylan Hartley got like two weeks off a of ban he got he got a red card against Leinster four or five years ago and he got like two weeks off for like and you know being like you know comporting himself well in the hearing <laughs> even though he had, had like you know 15 red cards I, I'm almost certain that uh, look it's I think it's absolutely bizarre you know and I think that um, I will say one thing I'm absolutely disgusted that he's not playing I really feel like that this is kind of that match with Owen Farrell was the biggest test for Leinster, and it's probably the end of that real kind of Saracens team. Um, this sorry, this season is the end of that Saracens team as we know it. And I think I was really, really looking forward to seeing if Leinster progressed from from last year's um, kind of uh, match against Saracens, where I thought they were completely outplayed in the final. Um, and I feel like Leinster have moved on a notch, and I was looking to see some evidence of that in in, in that game against a full complement, a uh, full Saracens complement. So. I was, was disgusted from that perspective but look this has been coming for ages I mean you just can't like the one against South Africa a couple of years ago was probably a standout one for me like that was just clearly an no-arms tackle uh, in that game and I kind of I suppose South Africa were obviously you know bitterly disappointed with that decision at the time but there's been lots of cases where you're kind of saying kind of silly behavior from a, a great player like I just love watching Farrell play I just hate all the histrionics that go with it uh, you know kind of rubbing other players faces and like you know what he's those guys rubs the face in the dirt um you know always kind of like i don't mind a little bit of chatter here and there but i just feel like he doesn't need to do it um but the charity work the charity work like uh, what a load of absolute garbage like the, the other guy is after getting concussed uh which we know has you know very far-reaching consequences uh, or can have very far-reaching consequences um you know, and to get it reduced because you do charity work, like all the players have to do mandatory, you know, I know in Leinster... OJ Simpson did charity work, like I'm not comparing them, but like, you know, a lot of people do charity work who are like pretty yeah, bad people. I'm sorry, but like, I mean, if, if, you're the, if you're the other person who's getting the, the you know, if you're getting the, the bad tackle and, you know, you're not, you can't remember the game and you have memory loss later in your life, you know, what, like, 
you should you be able should that should there be mitigating factors in this? I don't know. I'm not, I think no would be my decision on that. I think there shouldn't be too much uh, kind of unknowns that go into this or things that like that, you know that have an impact on this. Like your previous disciplinary record, like it's a ten-year career. It's not like you're it's it's your whole life and you're saying, well, look, he has these you know he has no previous convictions or whatever it is. Like it's a ten-year career. You play thirty matches a season. Like is it that much to ask that you don't you know keep doing this stuff? And should we have you know because there's not that much of a body of kind of work before like should you really be relying on that behavior to say oh we're going to reduce the bands if you have such a big you can you know possibly have such a big effect on someone else's life and their their rugby career uh, from a very serious incident my my view on this is that that's not that's not right um but others might think differently yeah no it's an interesting one and something that's i guess as got a lot of attention over the years when these big bands get chopped in half or or, or stuff like that. Silly, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's hard to get your head around. Okay, guys, it's prediction time. Uh, Jonathan, will you have the, the courage, the guts to, to go with an Ulster win? <laughs> I think uh I think they'll keep it close. But I can see uh I can see a narrow defeat with uh with Lancer's championship pedigree just coming through in the end. Well, if it's if it's hopefully if it's along the lines of that quarterfinal a couple of years ago, we're we're in for an absolute cracker. That was that was one of the games of the season that year. Uh, Luke, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think the same. I think uh, I think they'll keep it close. It's a final. I hope they do themselves proud on the day and really make it a really competitive game. Um, look, the thing is, what what they have shown is that they have the the you know. They have the ability to, to stick with teams and to believe in themselves when it re- when it really matters and to be able to produce a, a result. So, like if they get down to the last ten minutes, like that's the thing with Munster last week that they didn't do. They didn't keep it tight. They didn't get it, you know, to a place where Leinster were, you know, had to worry and had to produce something or had to be very very accurate at the end of the game. If Ulster do that, you know, they show they they they, they can deliver. Uh, so I think a tie one. I think Leinster win. Uh, I think probably the key guys, for, you know, they're Ulster missing a few guys that I think make a big difference to them, like Will Addison. Uh, I think it's a big loss. So I think Marshall's a bit of a loss as well in the centre if he's not playing. And, um, you know, I, th- I think those things might tell in the end. I think Leinster just have too many guys to rely on, even if the likes of Johnny Sexton's not in. Um, that'll probably edge them out in the end. Well, four games in and we have our first final already. A lot to look forward to. Jonathan Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Chat to you soon. That's all we have time for the left wing this week. We will be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the action from the Pro 14 final and looking ahead to the Champions Cup quarterfinals. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud and listen to us on independent.ie. And a reminder that we will be going out on Wednesdays from now on. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye.